0: All right, welcome to another edition of Off Topic. My name is Randy Zelia. Thank you for uh, giving us a little bit of your time each and every single week here on the Back Sports Page Radio Network. And we're taking a little bit of a different tour. I always say with Off Topic, um, this is a show where I can always – bring on people, not only just talk about the world of sports, but the world of entertainment and music and movies. Uh, So those who've been following for years have known we've had some uh, non-sports guests, and this is one that I've been uh, fairly excited about because uh, for those who know me very well, know my fandom of the Dave Matthews Band, and I'm proud to welcome in the saxophone player from the Dave Matthews Band. Uh, I I shouldn't just say saxophone player because he plays flute. He plays everything. uh, Jeff Coffin. Jeff, thanks for giving me some time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, my
1: pleasure, Randy. I
0: got up special just to do this. Oh, I appreciate that. I, pre- <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate. Well, <laughs> it's only eleven o'clock to- in Nashville. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was about to say, well, uh, you guys do have rock star hours, right? So yeah, and okay. So.
1: Funny, I've I've been getting up so early during during these last seven months. You know, it like basically between seven and eight every day, and and uh, getting out and taking walks, and you know, it's it's actually been really good, man. I haven't I haven't had this kind of sort of open time you know, or availability of time since the early nineties. And, uh, really, um, but I've been, but I've been getting up early, you know, I've been, I've been getting up early and getting a lot of stuff done and, you know, being really active and, and, uh, you know, creating a lot of stuff during the days and teaching and different things. And, and, uh, so it's, it's been good. It's been good. But today I actually, I did sleep in, which was very nice.
0: Well, it, it, just in that opening thing that you just said, there's so many different things I can dissect and ask questions of. And the first thing is, you, you know, you said right there, you know, being able to sleep a little late and your, your schedule sort of deviated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the type of schedule you would have for sleeping just from being on the road all the time compared to now, obviously having all this time at home? What, what's
1: that? What's yeah. that like? Well, you, you know, on, on on the road, I was I always tell people that that your most important commodity is sleep, you know, and, and, uh, you know, there, there are some, there are some days where we're in three cities in one day. And, uh, um, so it's, you know, it's, 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 a it can be a challenge, you know, we'll, we'll wake up, play a gig, you know, um, um and then, you know, like head somewhere else and, you know, do like, like wake up, fly to a gig, do the gig. And then after the gig fly somewhere else, you know? So there are, there are days where we're literally in in three places in one day and and your body, you know, it's taxing on the body. It's, it's hard. I mean, as, as high a level as we tour at and and we do, it's a very high level. Um, You know, make no mistake about it, man. It is, it is a grind. And uh, um, you know, it's, it's very different than, you know, being in a van, driving down the road, of course, but nonetheless, it's, you know, it's like you do sports. It's kind of like, you know, on on the level of, of being an athlete, we're doing three hour shows a night, you know, five nights a week. And, uh, we're doing this for weeks at a time. And, uh, um, so, you know, the unfamiliarity of, of different places and, you know, you see friends, you want to hang out, you're up late and, you know, you're trying to kind of get your groove every day in a different place. So, uh, so sleep on the road is a commodity and, and, um, you know, I'll take a nap whenever I can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. try to, you know, kind of, <laughs> you know, cool my body out, you know, and, and, uh, um, but staying healthy is really important and, and sleep is a big part of that. And, um, so, I mean, I don't really drink anymore. I, I went vegetarian about a year and a few months, almost a year and a half ago now. And, uh. Dropped about twenty or twenty five pounds, so so it's good, man. I'm feeling good. feeling good. Okay, and and the other part of what you were
0: just saying is too is you being an educator. Now a lot of people might wonder how can you be touring and recording and doing all these right. different things, but also be uh, teaching. Uh, obviously, we're going to dive back into your early days for, uh, in a little bit, but can you explain how the opportunity to become teaching out? in, I believe it's Vanderbilt, correct? Yeah, that's right. I've been there for six yeah, years. years. Yeah, yeah. So, so how did how did that come about?
1: Well I've been teaching for a long time uh, my undergraduates in music education from the University of North Texas and uh, and, I've, and I've always loved teaching. Um, it's always been part of what I've done For most musicians, quite honestly, um, you know well over 90% of us probably teach in some sort form or fashion. And so I've since I uh, I don't know maybe like the late 90s, I guess I was out starting to do uh, workshops and clinics and colleges, some high schools, um, every now and again, a junior high, but, but mostly, mostly colleges and some high schools. And so I've done at this point, you know, probably over 325 clinics and, uh, um, mostly in the States, but, but when I tour internationally, I'll try to set stuff up, um, there as well. Um, I don't, you know, I just love it when, when there's a friend of mine, who's, who's the head of jazz studies at Vanderbilt at the Blair school of music, Named Ryan Mitte, and so when he came on board, um, he started hiring people as adjunct, and uh, he asked me if I was interested in 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 teaching improvisation, and so I said absolutely. And and you know when I first when I first joined, my first year there, we were with Dave Matthews. We were about to take a six week European tour, so when I met with the dean and met with Ryan about teaching, I said, well, I said, I said I'm down, man. I said, but I'm about to leave for six weeks on, on, a European (laughs) tour with Dave Matthews. And, uh, I said, but I said, you know, I said, I'll do lessons on zoom and, uh, um, or, or FaceTime or whatever. And, and so, uh, that's what I did for the first six weeks. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like one o'clock in the morning. I remember one, one time it was like one o'clock in the morning in Ireland. And, uh, um, you know, my, my students had their lessons and, and, uh, they were like, man, should shouldn't shouldn't you be in bed or something? I was like, so I said, You worry about you and I'll worry about me.
0: <laughs> That's
1: all scale. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great, man. My you know, my students are are, are <laughs> about it. Uh, they're great people and and um, you know, I'm I'm friends with all my students and, and we laugh a lot in our lessons. It's 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 serious. I hold their feet to the fire, but a lot of them aren't music majors, you know, they're like econ or they're studying to be a doctor or you know, childhood development or whatever. But they're playing music because they understand the importance of music in their education and their and their overall education. And uh, you know, some some of them are killing, man. But but they're not looking to become professional musicians. But they're fantastic players.
0: You know, and it's funny you say that too because across the country especially now with the pandemic that's been going on i feel like over the last maybe eight to ten years that a lot of the schools not just college programs but the high school programs uh seem to be trying to cut the art programs out to try and save money and it comes funny for me saying this but i'm like well you guys don't really cut much from the sports program and they always come out with well you know this is the easiest way of doing it but as an educator as a performer what do you what's your general feeling when you hear about programs being cut um, Hmm. music, music always being sort of the thing that has to be sacrificed? What, what's usually your response when you hear about those types of situations?
1: Well, it's, it's disappointing, you know, certainly it, it it upsets me. Um, um, I mean, if I'm being honest, it, it actually makes me a little angry, you know, it's, it's, Music is such an important part of what we do as human beings. Music is, is an integral part of our every day. And, uh, you know, whether it's concerts or music that's behind um, your favorite TV show or movie or, you know, I was thinking about your theme song when when the countdown was happening, you know, and, <laughs> and how music is, is woven into every fabric of what we do you know and and one of the reasons that that's, that exists is because of these music programs now it, beyond that one of the things that that one of the many things that music helps with is to um is to problem solve you know and so you've got these young students you've got a group of students sometimes hundreds of people you know you can have uh wind ensembles or orchestras that are that are a hundred people or a marching band. You can have a 200 person marching band at a large school, for example. Um, and there's problem solving, there's teamwork. Um, there's, there's hive mentality that has to happen. And, uh, and, and you have to learn to work together. You have to, um, build in and, and work on relationships. Um, ma- there's a lot of mathematics in music, the way that we subdivide things. um, um there's working together with, with rhythmic cadences and articulation, uh, blending. We have to be, be able to become better listeners, which these days, dear God, man, what, what, <laughs> what a beautiful thing to aspire to. I mean, nobody's listening. And uh, so, so music helps us become better listeners. Um, it has been shown that, that, um, that other areas excel, areas like math and science excel um, when people are studying music also. So there's a different kind of discipline we have to practice. It's not something that is, uh, you, you cannot get better if you're not practicing. Um, so there's a, there's a self-discipline with that also. And, uh, in, in, in the holistic approach to education, music is an integral part of that. You know, the friendships that people develop, the relationships that people develop, these are relationships that that go on and on and on throughout your life. And, uh, Um, And short of having a bad director, I've never had anybody say, man, I I never liked playing music. You know, I've had people (laughs) say, man, I had a really lousy director that I didn't like that kind of took the love out of playing for me. But they had the love, you know, and I've had many people say, man, you know, I've still got my sax in the closet or my flute or my trumpet or whatever. I say, this is what you do. You go home tonight, you get it, you put it on the table and you open the case right? Because that's the hardest part of going back to it is actually getting it out of the closet. It's not going like, oh, here's my horn. I don't want to play this. It's like, oh, there it is. I'm going to play a few notes. And it brings you, man, it brings you back to, to you know, to when you were a kid. It brings me back to, to when I was a kid, certainly, every time I play. And uh, so I, I think that there's a there's a lot of benefit to it. And it's upsetting because I, I'm not sure that the people making the decisions to cut the programs, understand what they're doing, quite honestly, you know, and, and yes, it's important. Sports is important, of course. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I believe that sports is probably less important in the overall education than music is, you know, Mm -hmm. people are going to get outside and exercise. They're going to put, you know, I mean, it's like you hear about these kids when they were growing up. My dad included, my dad played hockey until he was 75 years old, you know? And, uh, but you hear about, they're going to like put together pickup games on the ice. If there's ice, you know, they're going to go outside and and play Frisbee or, or, or play football or baseball or whatever, you know, they're going to play pickup games. It's going to happen, you know, but it's more, more challenging to put together like a community orchestra or a community band. Those things will happen sometimes too, but most of these things happen from people playing in band together in school.
0: Yeah, and definitely, too. And I remember having a conversation with um my old high school who were, was very intent on wanting to cut the music program to build on the sports program. And I remember this is a small, small high school. And I remember making the comment. I said, do you know how many people graduated here with music scholarship, art scholarships and drama scholarships compared to how many Division One athletes the schools produced, and they said right. well, we've only had we've only had two Division One athletes at that point. And I said, yeah, you had about twenty-five kids, thirty kids a year getting these types of scholarships. Right. I think you sh- I think that's the way you should be leaning, and yeah, and, they, and I got and I got that look like, oh, you know, he's got a point. I'm just like, yeah, you have to really look at it like that. But right. they are not; they don't look at it that way. They're looking at well, it as.
1: Here, here's another example for you. There's a community music school in Nashville called the W.O. Smith Community Music School, and it's a jewel in Nashville. It's a nonprofit. About 700 kids a week go through there. Of course, right now they're virtual. Um, The director is a a great friend of mine. He's been there almost 25 years named Jonah Rabinowitz. And when he's interviewed, like people say, well, you know, we hear that kids do better in math and science and and blah, 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 you know, through music. He says, well, he says, you know, all that is true. He says, "and, and I'm no scientist or researcher. He says, but I can tell you this. He said that the W.O. Smith school, the community music school, a hundred percent of our students graduate high school, a hundred percent, you know? And he said in the entire time I've been here, I think that he said there have only been two students who haven't gone on to higher education. So this is one of the things that music does. This is one of the inspirations with music and community and fellowship, friendship, direction I mean a lot of these the 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 prerequisite for that school is that you qualify for school lunch so over 70 percent of the students in Metro Nashville qualify for student lunch or for free lunch rather and uh, um, so they're just getting a fraction of these kids only 700 only 700 kids a week but they come through this and 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 the students pay 50 cents for a lesson and uh, so for fifteen dollars, you can sponsor a student's music lessons for an entire year. Wow. wosmith.org wosmith.org is the uh, is the website. It's a phenomenal place and they have a 100% graduation rate uh, you know like some somewhere in the high 90s of those kids going on to, to to higher education also. And there have been students that have gone on to become professional musicians uh, but they become upstanding members of the community. They become doctors and lawyers and teachers and and all, you know, all these other things, man. It's incredible. It's incredible.
0: And and that, that graduation rate going on to higher education is, is, that's mind boggling to me. It's mind boggling. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's, way higher than
1: average, way higher
0: yeah that's to me is crazy um yeah. I, I wanted to take a step back for you because you grew up in the new england area yeah, um sir. I, i'm very i'm sort of familiar with it uh my brother was went to college out in new hampshire to keen keen state college yeah, uh, gra- yeah. yep and so he graduated uh he graduated there he got accepted for vocal horn playing and percussion so oh wow okay um, so he my i I, um no one is a bigger fan of my brother than than i am uh you know he uh he opened the music academy out here in new jersey um so you know he is very big with as far as giving back and it's for all ages he has everyone from the age of five years old all the way up to in their 40s what's the name uh, of the school the modern music academy beautiful beautiful yeah it, it is it is the, the job he does is, he he hires a great set of teachers in there um so not only is he helping kids educate um as far as music is concerned but he's also giving young professionals the opportunity to still teach which is oh, even great. even better and man connect uh, us sometime maybe sometime i can get up there and do a workshop with his students oh that'd be amazing that'd Super be great fun.
1: yeah
0: um but for you grow, growing up in New Hampshire and then end up going to school for music then in Texas, what was the transition like being in a smaller area like, like New England from where you grew up to going into the, the big state of Texas? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> well, it, it was uh, um, it was a bit of culture shock. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. I mean, when, when, when I started playing, I was in a small town in Maine called Dexter, Maine. I was originally from Massachusetts. We moved to Maine and uh, then New Hampshire after that. And so the town that I started playing in had about 3,000 people in it, maybe maybe three or 4,000 people. And, and it was remote. You know, our, our nearest movie theater was 40 miles away. I lived on 40 acres of land on a farm. And, uh, you know, so I, I think music chose me. I mean, there's, there's no other way to look at it to me. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> but coming from New Hampshire, I was living in Rochester, which is a, a, you know about 25,000 people. And we had a really great music program. We had a great band director named Douglas Patch. And, uh, um, you know, still some of my dearest friends to this day are, are people that were in that band. And, uh, my sister played also, and, uh, her husband, uh, played trumpet in the band. And, uh, he, he still plays every day, man. He spent 25 years in the air force. He still plays trumpet every day and, uh, he just loves it. And, uh, mm. but going to, going to Texas, making the transition from that small new England town to, to going to Denton, Texas, which is, a uh, they call it the golden triangle because of Fort Worth and, and Dallas and Denton is a little bit North of there. Um, it's a huge, um, you know, uh, built up area. It's, it's all city at this point. Um, it was, it was quite a transition and, and going into a music program that had, you know, 1200 people in it. Um, you know, with some of the best players uh, in the world were going there just, you know, internationally too, we had students from all around the world. Um, so I, I knew that it was a sink or swim kind of thing. And I knew that I had to throw myself into the deep end. There's great schools in New England. You have Berkeley. You've got all the schools in, in, yeah. um, in New York also. And, and uh, um, there's other schools in Massachusetts, UMass Amherst and University of New Hampshire. Uh, there's some great schools in Maine. But for me, I knew that I, I had to get far away from any distractions and anything that was going to sort of, you know, be in my peripheral focus wise. So I, you know, I just got deep in the shed, man. I was practicing eight to twelve hours every day, uh, plus taking twenty credit hours because I was an Ed major. And
0: and uh, well, eight to know, twelve hours, a, eight to twelve hours a day. So just putting yeah. that perspective for for everyone who's listening, that's like a full days of work, and that was just practicing. That's right. Yeah. That, that's that's to me, that's amazing. And that that's also takes
1: a lot of discipline too. It did. It took a lot of discipline, and and uh, uh, you know, in 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 part of. Part of the reason I had to do that is that when I got there, I felt like I was so far behind where everybody else was. Now I'm I, I'm not recommending that people compare themselves. I mean, it's it's an impossibility, but I knew that there were certain things that were lacking fundamentally for me, so that I had to work on these things in a way that that uh, it just took hours a day, man, hours and hours, and uh, from scales to understanding how to to. Um, you know, start to play through chord changes and transcribing solos and, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of work.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around saying, okay, so you're spending, you're doing 20 credits worth of school. And for those, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a lot of schoolwork and then spending yeah. all, all at, almost any ounce of free time and not getting a full night's sleep and practicing not even close. Yeah. 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 I, mean, yeah, I was, four or
1: five hours a night.
0: God, I'm just like, I'm
1: just, I'm just wrapping my head around that. And that's like, yeah. my God. I mean, I, I would sleep in a little bit on the weekends, but you know, if, if I had, a, if I had a gig on the weekends, um, I couldn't get quite that much time in, you know, I would usually get about eight hours in, but, um, look, there's a lot of hours in a week. You know, I tell my students this too, uh, you know, my Vanderbilt students are, are really smart, but, but I always get them on this. Um, when we're talking about about practicing and and discipline, I say, How I said, All right, how you know, smart student? (laughs) How many many hours are in a week? And they're like, What? I was like, Yeah, how many hours are in a week? And they're like, "Mm, I don't know, (laughs) 24 times seven. And so there's 168 hours in a week. So I tell them, I say, look, I said if you take an hour lesson with me a week, you're on your own for 167 hours. So who's really (laughs) so who's really doing the teaching here? you know and uh,
0: that's a, that's so, a very interesting different perspective you just you just put on because you can not only can just use that with music you can use that with everything else everything
1: of course man
0: every, everything else you're doing I, got to, I have to use that with my writers I mean, I'm, gonna start, yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm gonna start I'm gonna start throwing that at them and see what yeah. they say but. yeah because there's a lot of there's a lot of time in there I mean you know I think that that the things that that in including myself that we mismanage is our time and in and, and it's our it's our most sacred thing. Yeah. You know, whatever we give, like this time that I give to you, I can't possibly get this back. You know, the time. (laughs) I don't don't know know if I should apologize now. I don't know (laughs) if I should have. (laughs) 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 What I'm saying is that, is that like choose wisely, you know, it's like all the hours that people spend on Facebook. And I'm guilty of this sometimes too. I'll be perused. I just look what my friends are up to, you know, I can't get that back. But it also sometimes connects me to them. You know, without like going deep into Facebook, which every now and then I'll go in, you know. But uh, um, but your time is spent on social media or, or, or watching TV or <clears throat> whatever. You can't get that time back. It's gone. You've given that away, you know. So my point is, you know, choose wisely. And so my choice, is, so I'm in my studio right now. This is above my garage. I spend most of my time in here creating. You know, I'll spend 8, 10 hours a day in here and uh, recording and working on music and uh, experimenting. And, and um, I actually had a gig the other night, so a couple of my horns are still in their cases. Um, Wait, you had a Or I had a gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, my first one in seven months. It's a little French <laughs> restaurant called Miel, which is right down the street from here. It's in Nashville, and uh, it's just a few blocks away from me over on the west side. It's a great little French restaurant, M, uh, M-E-I-L. M- M I E L rather. It's the French word for honey. And, uh, and so they have a little barn that's, that's next to the restaurant that they do, you know, things like wine tasting and different, you know, different chefs will come in and, and, um, you know, do different foods and such. And so, so they've been opening the barn door and, uh, uh there's a little brick patio. And gotcha. so we set up on the brick patio. We brought a trio myself and this great drummer named Jordan Pearlson who came down from New York a few years ago. And, um, uh, great bass player named Victor Kraus, the brother of Alison Kraus, actually, and uh, so we we've just been getting together and, and playing up here in the studio, um, basically once a week for the last few weeks. And um, the owner of the restaurant, uh, this woman Seema Prasad, had um, had asked me. She said, "Hey, my my Wednesday night um, music, they're not able to do this week. Do you know anybody? You know, not expecting that that I was going to do it. She said, but you know, do you have any friends that?" Would be interested in coming to do this. I said, Well, I said, I have a couple of friends that I'd like to bring in, <laughs> you know. And uh, it was so fun, man. We played for 90 minutes, you know, like six to seven. It was a beautiful night, and um, you know, just playing original stuff, it was really quiet, and uh, um, and so they have everybody, you know, uh, socially distancing, and so I mean, I would think like 15 or 16 people could fit socially distanced in that room, and Oh it was beautiful man it was it was just so nice. Well and how how nice is
0: it for you like since so I don't want to get I don't want to use the word stereotype but because you're always performing with Dave and playing mm. a lot of the same tunes being able to go out and perform in more of an intimate setting and how how how, how like refreshing is that and how needed is that for, for a musician at times.
1: Yeah well for me um I've always done a lot of stuff outside of the band and it was the same with the Flectones. I've, I've had my own groups for years. I've got 17 solo records out. I've got three more, three or four more in the can right now that uh, are going to be released soon. I've got my own record label called Ear Up Records. Okay. Um, so I've always done things outside of the bands. I've always uh, composed and, and done my own music. So, yeah, it means a lot to me to be able to do that. Um. um You know, I I like the music that I write. I like the music that I play. And, uh, and I'm very, I'm in a very fortunate position where I, where I really enjoy all the stuff that I do, you know, from, from the Matthew stuff, which is, which is its own thing. It's incredible, you know, it's like a seven piece small group in front of 15,000 people, but the intimacy is there on stage between us, you know, and so it's not a lot different than this trio gig I did the other night. It's intimacy-wise, you know, listening-wise and, and um, playing off of each other and, and um, you know, leaving space within the music and, and letting, it, um, letting it grow as it goes. Um, serving the music, that's, that's what we do. We serve music. And so uh, to me, music is a service industry. No matter what ensemble I'm playing in, we have to serve the music first. We have to serve the musicians we're playing with second, the audience is third, so I'm at least fourth on that list. <laughs> but by serving those others, I I in turn get served, you, you know? know, and uh, um, and and so it's you know the intimacy is always there, and that's that's what I've always looked for in music is the intimacy, and uh, so it doesn't matter if it's in front of fifteen or twenty thousand people or in front of fifteen or sixteen like we did at that gig at at that restaurant you know for for you and like
0: knowing that you were at bella fleck you know i started with bella fleck as far as as far as mainstream is concerned yes um what was that like for you at that at that point in time starting to get some of that mainstream recognition meaning that you were how was that was it a little overwhelming was it a little difficult for you was it like so don't of like wiping the eyes and going. Oh my
1: God, this is. <laughs> this is yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, because I, you know, I know a lot of your fans are sports fans. I mean, I think that it's like, <clears throat> you know, going from the minor leagues into the show. You know, it's it's, you know, when when you get a gig like that, it's like, wow, man, this is you know, this is the real deal. Like I'm really touring, uh, and making a living playing music with a touring band, and uh, and with the Flectones. Um, for those of those of your fans who don't know Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, Bela is a banjo player. He's the greatest banjo player to ever play the instrument, and uh, he's very contemporary. He's played with, you know, obviously you know American bluegrass musicians, but he's a fusion player, and uh, he plays with Chick Corea also. And I love and Chick Corea, Indian, Indian um, tabla virtuoso Zakir Hussain, the great bass virtuoso Edgar Meyer plays with Chris Thiele from. From Nickel Creek and and uh, um, oh god, what's Chris's other um, spacing the name of of Chris's contemporary band? Um, but anyways, he's he, you know he's he's played with everybody, man. Incredible, incredible musician. So when I first went on the road with them, we had a couple uh, of maybe hour long rehearsals, and the music's very complicated. It's very complex, a lot of odd meters, meaning that you're shifting shifting time all the way through uh, the piece of music. <clears throat> excuse me. And so I remember after the first gig, which was in Vermont somewhere, um, <laughs> I went to Bayley and I said, Hey man, I said, I said, I can't thank you enough for this opportunity. And I said, but uh, I said, man, I said, I'm, I'm cool to take a bus back to Nashville tomorrow. You know, I said, and you guys carry on, you know, he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I said, man, I said, your fans know the music better than I do. And, I said, I just, I feel like I'm I'm holding you guys back and I don't want to do that. I said, you guys are already so established. He said, oh man, he says, for a first gig with this band, he says, that was fantastic. He says, go listen to the tapes. He says, get some rest. He says, tomorrow's going to be even better, you know. And uh, so, you know, he had a lot of confidence in me. And, and, and you know, as a leader, I've, I've been under two great leaders, him and Dave. And, and as a leader, you know, when we were working on material, man, we would play stuff over and over and over again, just so I could learn it because some of that stuff is really hard, man. The way that, the way that he would play things on banjo, because he's, he's plucking with four fingers. I think, yeah, I think he has four picks three or four anyway. And so he's able to roll through the banjo, you know, and, and play these lines that are really, really difficult to play on any other instrument, especially the, the saxophone, you know? And, uh, So I had I had to basically learn how to play their music in in a totally different way, which opened me up musically like nothing else ever has. So, yeah, it was challenging. It was difficult. It was exhilarating. Um, um, it, It was it was a grind. I mean, we'd be playing six nights a week, you know, sometimes seven. We'd sometimes play seven or eight, even maybe more, especially if we were in Europe, we would maybe have like one or two days off in like a three week tour. And uh, um, so, you know, it was challenging, but fun. I mean, we're all in the same bus, hanging out, laughing, taking walks. I mean, I love those guys. They're family, you know. And and uh, um, and it was through them that I met Dave Matthews, and we used to do opening dates. And so it's all connected in, man. It's all, you know, it's all family. And, uh, um, you know, the Flectones were supposed to do some opening dates um, at the Gorge this year with us. And, uh, um, and, and, and play with us. And it, it just would have been so beautiful, man. We're all looking so forward to it. And uh, then, you know,
0: 2020. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 20, that's what people, that's what people now just say. They just say 2020 and everyone's just like, yeah, 2020. 2020. 2020, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, Steve Jackson just sent the comment over. It was, it was the Punch Brothers as Chris Teal's Punch Brothers, yes, yes. So
1: thank you, yeah. Steve, for that. Yeah, I I knew was I knew it was like right there, and I was like, "Oh God, what is it?" Yeah, (laughs) but Chris also does a great show on NPR uh, every weekend. Um, He took over for Garrison Keillor uh, and changed the name of it, but he's got a wonderful show full of music and guests, and oh, it's awesome. Do Do you ever playing out in public have any nerves? Is there is sometimes? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes not not super often, um, but uh, but sometimes. Um, you know, it used to be like, if I had a former teacher coming out to a, to a show or something or, um, you know, something along those lines, um, you know, it's, it's like you're kind of catapulted back into, you know, when you didn't know what you were doing. And, and I think, you know, look, here's the thing, Matt, a, a lot of us musicians have imposter syndrome, you know, that we're going to be found out that we have no idea what we're doing. And, uh, and, and, and that fear is still there sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very prepared for things. I'm anal about my preparation for stuff. Even this gig the other night, man, I had – Well, it's over on that stand over there. I don't know if you can see it on, on that stand way in the back, right where my finger is pointing between the mic. But I, I have – I'm going to show you. <laughs> <laughs> So, so this was an hour and a half gig, a trio gig. And so, so I have a three ring binder. I have all the tunes numbered. Right. (laughs) And I have everything printed out in, in this program called Sibelius, which is super readable. It's all in my key. I had, I had charts for everybody else. You know, I mean, I, I, I brought a little amp. I have pedals that I use. I brought my tenor, soprano, flute, bass clarinet, um, uh, clarinet um you know I mean I I had to bring all this so I had to be really I, I'm really organized I actually wrote a book because I've also led my own groups i've written, I've written a number of music books uh people can check them out at jeffcoffin.com um but this book is it's called the road book how to navigate the road um a musician's guide to, to navigating the road uh, before you even leave the driveway and uh right. and so it has all these different things in there that um that I've had to do over the years. And basically, what I did one night is 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 I woke up and and I just thought, I mean, I'm just gonna write down all the stuff that I have to do. And it was like two pages long. You know, just be- before I leave the driveway. So this book has like forty things, forty baskets of things I call them that um that are their own rabbit hole that you have to do before you leave the driveway. You know, just I mean, never mind getting the gig. As a leader, like you're responsible for all this other stuff, and so uh um, you know it's for me, I have to have a business head and I have to have a creative head and uh um, and 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 not all musicians are able to do that I'm, you know that's just that's one of the things that I do bring to the table and uh, I'm really organized, my business stuff is together um you know, I, I self-publish my books. Um, I've got my own record label. I've got my own recording studio. I, I engineer. I sometimes mix. Also, I've done some production, um, and I play all these different instruments that I have to have together. But you and, put up
0: such a good point, though. I'm sorry for cutting you off. But, but when I'll, does
1: it, when does it when does the
0: separation between the music and the business? because you know when there's 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 a mate there's a fine line sometimes there's a strong sure. line because you, you not only have jeff coffin the musician you also have jeff coffin the brand where you have to right. you have to do what's best sometimes you have to do what's best for the brand and sometimes and that the music has to sort of take a back seat to that how hard is it to separate that
1: um Well, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, But, but to me, the business part ends like the, the, I mean, they're, they're both business to me because I'm also taking care of business when I'm playing, but, but, but the, the, the organizational sort of on the computer, like worrying about, you know, like upcoming gigs or clinics or the books or records or blah, blah, blah. All that ends when I put the horn on my body. You know, and uh, so I have to make the separation because I can't be thinking about that stuff and creating at the same time. So that's one of the challenges of being a leader of a band. Um, and, And that's why there's management. That's why there's people around Dave and around Baylor that take care of all that other stuff so that they can concentrate on this you know, take away all the worries of all this other stuff. And it doesn't mean that Dave's not involved with the business or that is not involved with the business end of things because they are unquestionably, you know. <clears throat> but when it comes time to get to the gig and take care of business, that's why we have bus drivers. That's why we have crew. That's why we have tour managers. We have caterers, et cetera, et cetera. People to take care of these things so that that we don't have to do those, that we can concentrate – on doing this at the highest level possible. Um, so it's, you know, it, it can be a challenge, you know, but you've got to be able to leave that and create and, uh, and, and, and creating for me, improvising for me, playing music for me is, is it's the greatest joy in my life, man. i okay. you know, I can only imagine and you can and you hear
0: it through the music especially when you're you're performing with with bella Fleck when we listen to the recordings and um now of course when you're playing with dave mm-hmm. uh, you certainly hear it and uh, i again I, I encourage everybody to go to jeffcoffin.com and to listen to some of the other, uh, music. I have a, a couple questions before we jump with anything and with to Dave. I know we're, we're 40 minutes in. We haven't even really discussed much with which Dave, which is probably a lot of the things that our listeners would like to hear about. But, um, part of your story, um, what is, is Joe Lovano, who uh, was a mentor towards you. And I, and I wanted to, you know, I always want to make sure when we we're telling someone's story to hit on the people who really had influence on you. And I know that he had a major influence. So can you talk about the influence that he had on you?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for asking about Joe. Joe is an amazing saxophonist, uh, lives in New York. He's originally um, from Cleveland. Uh, his dad was a, a, a saxophonist, also. And, um, I got, I got kind of turned on to Joe Lovano's music. Uh, he was playing with John Schofield on some records in the late 80s. And I remember I heard a record, um, called Time on, Time on My Hands, uh, from John Schofield. Um, and 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 it, it just completely turned me around the way that that Joe was playing and his sound and his concept of rhythm and 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 blend with the guitar all these different things, um, and so I, I applied for a grant once I moved to Nashville, um, I think it was in '94 or '95. <coughs> excuse me, I applied for um, a grant from the National Endowment of the Arts, and um, for the arts rather, and uh, to study with Joe Lovano up in New York, and so I got it. And so I went up and I studied with him some and and we've stayed in touch all these years. And, um, we had a chance to, to play together recently at, at Berkeley college of music. Uh, I was doing a workshop there and and he and, uh, this drummer, Adam Cruz were there. And so, uh, uh, the three of us got to play and it was, it was so beautiful, man. And, and, you know, I was, <laughs> it was funny. I was, I was talking about it to the students and I, and I was saying, you know, I said, Joe has been one of my major influences. I said, I studied with him some and, and has been profound. I said, and, and, you know, getting a chance to, to actually play with him, you know, because I, I live in Nashville, he's in New York, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, I said, you know, I said, I said, this is just a Testament that, that, you know, when you dream these things, they can come true, you know, and sometimes they do come true. And it was, um, you know, it was kind of emotional for me, man, to, to talk about that. With him next to me, to, to, to be able to publicly thank him in front of young students uh, at the Berklee College of Music, that, that meant a lot to me, you know? And uh, so he's, he's just a beautiful, amazing human being and uh, adored and revered by everybody and a mentor to so many of us um, and creative beyond measure. Just beyond measure, you know.
0: And I wanted to make sure I brought him up because, I like I, yeah. I've, heard, I've passed in the past when I've heard you talk about him. I know you're very passionate about it, so yep. want to make sure. That's I got right. that. Um, I did receive a couple questions uh, wh- about Bella Fleck, and wh- one of the questions, uh, the constant questions, was: uh, Will you be ever going back with them to doing uh, any gigs when you have time? Well,
1: you know, I did a gig last year with them in in Colorado at Red Rocks, it was a big celebration of Bela and his, and his music. And, uh, and Sam Bush was scheduled to do it. And Sam had to pull out. Um, um, he had a medical emergency. He's fine, of course, you know, <clears throat> but it was th- those couple of weeks that he was going to be out. And, uh, so Bela called and said, Hey man, can you do this? And I was like, yeah, I was, I was off from Dave, like those couple of weeks. And, uh, and so it's it just slotted in perfectly. And, Man, it was like going home, dude. It was crazy. Like, it just it, and it was the first time that all five of us had played because Howard Levy is back in the group now, and uh, and it just felt like going home. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's 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 hard to schedule those things so far ahead of time um, because, of course, my my um, uh, my commitment to Dave Matthews is hundred percent. So, if there's anything that comes in, even if something else is scheduled, I have to cancel that and 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 do those gigs, but. Um, I, I would imagine that somewhere down the road we'll do some stuff. I actually just recorded recently um, a tune. There's a, some friends of ours, um, for, of 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 the bands, and myself in particular. Uh, they lost their home to the California wildfires. And so, uh, so my friends had said, hey, you know, play a little prayer for the forest and for the people and for the animals and for the destruction. And uh, so I wrote a tune called New Beginnings that um, has all five of us on there, has all five of the Flectones on it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Wooten, uh, um, Future Man, uh, and Howard Levy. And uh, so I'm in the process of figuring out the best way to get it out there to raise money uh, for people who have lost their homes to these wildfires. And uh, um, so it's done. It sounds beautiful. It's this beautiful kind of expansive kind of almost like it's not in tempo it's free but it's uh, it's you know sort of my prayer to 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 all those people my musical offering uh, call it what you will you know and uh, so it's exciting it's the first time we've all actually recorded together. Yeah. Uh, that's that's really cool,
0: and it actually drives me to another question now because we have technology is amazing. Like like you said, you're you're able to record Ooh, okay. record a you record at home, and now you have so many platforms to share music. Back in the day, you went to you you know you heard a song on the radio, you go to the store, you buy the CD, you buy the record, yeah. buy the tape, uh eight tracks, whichever how far back you want to go. And now you have all these different social media platforms. You have all these different platforms. Um, how important are those newer platforms for musicians to discover to help get their name out since there's such a variety out there of music there's so many different yeah. ways of getting there's so many different choices now so it's something that might be amazing might fall through the cracks because they don't have the right distribution on how to get it out to those platforms so my I guess my question for that is are the all the ways of getting music now the best way of doing it? Is it a good way? is it bad or should it be shrunk down your, your, your,
1: your well, input on that I mean it, I mean we've sort of opened Pandora's box you know with with digital whatever whether it's music or movies I mean my my, my question is always this man, if you know like when when you rent a movie on iTunes, um, you have what, 48 hours to watch it. Like once you start watching it. Yeah. Right?
0: Something like that. Yeah.
1: So how can they do that with movies and not do that with music? Hmm. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? You know? And, and, and so we have these streaming services and, you know, like Amazon prime or Netflix or whatever. And, uh, and so there's a different configure. You can watch a movie as many times as you want, but you also have to, you have to pay in for it, you know? So it's, it's taken a long time for the music industry to kind of, let's just say, get their stuff together. <laughs> if I'm being polite, um, to try to, to try to figure out these, you know, these distribution models and, you know, things like there's title, there's Spotify, there's Pandora, there's Apple music, there's bandcamp. Bandcamp pays the best out of all of them. That's where the musician makes the most money. So if, if people are looking to get music from your favorite artist, Bandcamp is the best place that benefits the artist the most. One of the reasons I started my own label, uh, I was on a small label here in Nashville called Compass Records, and they're amazing. They're incredible people, fantastic label. Um, but for for sort of the niche market that that my music is in, instrumental music, um, I just I just felt like I was hemorrhaging money by going with another label when I could keep everything in house and do it that way. And uh, it's more work for me, but but I've never shied away from work, you know. Um, so there are are ways to get it into these platforms, um, you know, th- through places like CD Baby and in other um, distribution places that automatically get into all those places, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, et cetera. So it's 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 not dissimilar to when I self publish my books through Ingr- Ingram Spark. Um, they automatically get into Amazon um, and and also Barnes and Noble, and so you can also go through Amazon and get it into Kindle and these right. different places. So there's 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 a lot of opportunity to get get it in there, and then through social media, or as I call it, anti-social media, um, <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can use your platform and and your group of friends to to hit them to what projects you have coming up. You know, so so I've just released a. Um, a book of, of improvisational flute etudes. Um, so that, so on social media I can put out the cover. I'm about to do it for clarinet also. I'm about to release the same book for clarinet. So I can, I can put that information out there. I've got free downloads of the MP3s also or streaming that they can go to the website and and look at the quotes from, um, really high level players that are supporting this book. Um, but I can use social media to let people know about that. That's originally why I got on social media. It wasn't because I wanted to get on Facebook, you know, but I had a publicist that said, if you're going to be releasing your own records on your own label, you've got to have a social media presence. Yeah. So I've got, uh, on Facebook, I've got Jeff coffin music. I've got my Instagram at Jeff coffin. Uh, I've got Twitter. Um, I think it's a Jeff Coffin or Jeff Coffin music, but <laughs> so I've got these different platforms that, that I don't even know. <laughs> that, like, I, don't I know what it is. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Um, <laughs> um But you know, I, I I really dislike social media from from a social platform. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, just the vile, terrible things that people say to one another, and uh, um,
0: I, I call it Twitter muscles. I say that people have like. I I can't tell you when I'm sitting in press boxes for games and people are sitting there, they'll say these things that they'll never say to
1: anyone's face. Right. Right. And I'm like, that's why I call them Twitter muscles. They're big behind the
0: keyboard. Right. uh,
1: And, and, you know, and I really applaud professional sports, man, for, for really stepping up during these times, uh, on, on social issues, things like black lives matter. And, uh, um, and, and really throwing their weight, um, and their advocacy, um, you know, behind these really prevalent and predominant and very important social issues, and and musicians have done that the whole time, also. And and you know, athletes get the same thing that we do: shut up and play. And and I'm like, wow, man. So you're just throwing kerosene on that fire, yeah. You know, because there's no way in hell that that's going to happen. And uh, you know, I'm I'm a human being first and foremost, man, and 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 I care what happens to my brothers and sisters around the world. And if I see injustice, I'm going to speak up about that. I'm going to stand up, um, or or take a knee, however it may be, and uh, um, and 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 I will let my voice be heard. You don't have to agree with me, um, but it's probably in our best interest to listen to each other and to have a dialogue. And I'm and I'm all for engaging on social media. And I tell people like I'm I'm okay to engage, but when you start calling people names. Um, or 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 saying derogatory things, I'm I'm just blocking at this point, you know. If if you're supporting a group like the Proud Boys or white supremacists, or or you're espousing these ideas, I'm like, I'm not even going to have that discussion. You go ahead and out yourself, and, but we're not going to have that discussion, you know. Well, what's what's
0: interesting is you say that too, and. I was watching a live stream of one of the concerts that you guys did over on on YouTube. I think it was the mm-hmm. Jiffy loop Center back in 2019, mm-hmm. and I had it on the computer. And I it has a running chat, and I think Dave made some sort of comment about you no know, against maybe a, a, something about the president. And I don't mm-hmm. even remember I don't remember what it is. It's it's not even important, but it lit a fire under the mm-hmm. chat. Right. And my, my first reaction is. I understand people are very passionate about it. Sure. But, but that's not why we're here type of mentality. Right. Right. And and everybody ha- like I agree with you. Everybody has a voice and I think it's as long as it's an open discussion where everybody respects each other's opinion, mm-hmm. amazing. Let's let's have that discussion. But I also believe that there's a time and a place. And now for that thing, you guys have also have a very very public forum and have a very large fan base where you guys can help shape the argument, which I which I'm very very much for. Um and Dave Dave made the comment and I I didn't realize until then on how much of a chord
1: it strikes with people, and I think to, yeah. to me that's the amazing part. It's interesting, yeah. Um, I mean, this this band um, has always been very um, um, very liberal and very left, as as most musicians are. Many, well, I, I, I would say I would say most musicians, um, and. You know, nobody's trying to alienate the fan base. Um, but we also have a forum and we feel like we have a responsibility, yeah. you know, to to um, say what we think is right. And, you know, you can you can disagree. Um, but, you know, I mean. You know, Dave grew up in South Africa and he was surrounded by apartheid and he had at that time it was illegal Not just frowned upon him; it was illegal for blacks and whites to mingle, you know, and uh, to to be in each other's areas. And Vusi Malasela, who is a a dear friend of 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 David's and uh, of the bands, also, um, when we were in South Africa last time, you know, he took us around. He told us stories of friends of his getting shot, doctors getting shot because they were um, uh, working on patients who were black. Uh, who were getting hurt by uh, and and shot by white police officers, dogs getting, um, 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 you know, sicked on the, the, uh, the blacks who were doing nothing. You know, it was legal to, to shoot black people under apartheid. I mean, it was, it was horrific, man. And uh, um, just these horrible, horrible stories, but, but, you know, Dave would sneak off and hang with Vusi under, under penalty of being arrested, you know? And, wow. uh, and Vucey told us a story of, uh, he took us to his grandmother's house. She had passed long before that, but, uh, and Vusi was very close with Nelson Mandela as well. So really in that, in that struggle. And he told us a story. He he was at the house and, and police officers came and surrounded his house, his grandmother's house. And, uh, uh, they said, send Vusi. you know, he's, he's done whatever. And, his his grandmother amazing woman um she had a pot of boiling water on the stove and she said vusi's a good boy he's here with me he's doing nobody any harm he said leave the first person through this door is going to get boiling water in the face she said he's here with me he's safe he's not doing anything wrong you know she stood down the cops wow yeah,
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, there's an incredible movie called Amandala, which means power in Zulu in the Zulu language. That's all about apartheid, you know, and, and you were restricted to travel, uh, you were restricted to where you could live. I mean, it was horrific, absolutely horrific. And uh, um, so when we went, we, we toured those areas with Vusi, actually, my wife and I had gone down about a week early. And we went to um, Johannesburg. And Vusi took us on a tour of Johannesburg and Mamalodi and the different areas, you know, where Nelson Mandela grew up and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it was very powerful, man. It was very, very powerful. And uh, um, uh, Soweto, they called it, you know, like the slang for Soweto is so where to. Like, where are they going to put us now? You know, (laughs) that was a very impoverished area. Um, um, Trevor Noah grew up in South Africa, grew up in Johannesburg. In the outlying areas, and his book is fascinating, man. You know, like his book is incredible. Um, you know, growing up in that area, and 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 that he was able to make it out of that area, and 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 you know, go to, you know, worldwide stardom and accolade, never forgetting his roots. But these are some of the reasons that that were for you know, we're on the side of the people who are being persecuted. You know, we're on the side of 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 people. Who are having this injustice done to them. And and you know, make no mistake about it, man. You know, minorities in this country have not been treated well. Neither have women. You know, and there is there are some really great movies that that people can watch. Thirteenth is a great one, which is the the um um the amendment, the thirteenth amendment that abolishes slavery, with the exception how many people know the 13th amendment with the exception of if you've been duly committed uh, duly convicted of a crime slavery is abolished with the exception of if you've been duly convicted of a crime in the united states or its territories so what that's saying is okay it's illegal if you're free but it's le- slavery is still legal to this day slavery is still legal If you've been duly convicted of a crime. So when the 13th amendment passed, there were a lot of laws that went into play in the United States that blacks were getting uh, arrested for standing on the corner for loitering, you know, for doing whatever so that they could be put back in prison and put onto these chain gangs and made to work, you know, because this country was built on the back of slave labor. You know, I mean, make no mistake about it. And we're still seeing this go on to this day. The incarceration rate of African-Americans is is hugely disproportional that they make up 13 percent of our population and the percentage of of uh, African-Americans who are seeing jail time is hugely disproportionate, you know. And uh, so so this still going on, people don't want to see it, but it's there, you know. And that's a great movie to watch. And and you know there are people fighting the good fight. We're going to keep fighting that fight, man. We're going to keep fighting for people who, um, who 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 don't have a voice. We're going to continue to listen.
0: And that's one of the things too. Is one of the things is the hardest thing. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is actually have the conversation and listening. Course, and and one of I think I have a very young staff that works for me and works. I should rephrase it. I work work with me. And after the George Floyd situation, I got everybody together on a zoom call because i have everybody across the country Mm. and and i let everybody we did a recording that's out on youtube with our staff having a group conversation about it but i also gave everybody the opportunity off the recording to say how they feel about it Mm. and i have have african-american staff members and i have white americans uh, white white staff members and i have um a, a couple of arab writers who who too felt racism because of 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 their necessities. So having that opportunity to let everybody have their voice was so powerful because everyone had different emotions about it. And I think that's that's such a big first step is being able to have the strength to talk about it and being able, I think being able to talk about it and being able to listen to how everybody feels about it is a way for all of us to grow because we're communicating. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with our country today is our lack of communication with each other. And I think if we do that, it's a big first step to solving a lot of the problems.
1: Yeah. Lack of listening, you know, there's, there, cause I deal with listening a lot with my students. And of course, being a musician, we have to, we have to be great listeners. And there's, there's a, a really beautiful clue in, in the word listen, um, on, on how to become a better listener. And uh, I'm actually going to, I'm going to show you what it is. Um, and I would say the other thing also is, is that, you know, there's there's a saying that I really love, and it says, um, <clears throat> "Speak without offending, listen without defending. Speak without offending, listen without defending." Hmm. And, uh, um, and and that's a really great way to approach things because, in the you know we saw with the first debate debate, dear God, it was it was an, an aberration, you know, just interrupting all the time, and you can't have a dialogue that way. No, No. in in news stations are a lot like that too. It's just, it's terrible. Okay. So we have the word listen, right? So what happens if we rearrange these letters? It becomes. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So that's a great clue on how you want to become a better listener. Shut your mouth and actually listen to what somebody has to say. You know, I mean, look, you you do that all the time, man. You know, you're a listener because you have a back and forth with your guests, and and you know, like I, I've i been watching uh, Joe is it Joe Rogan? Is that the guy?
0: Yeah, right? Joe Rogan.
1: And so I've listened to some of his podcasts. And I'm like, wow, this is this is like he's a really good listener. You know, and and the way that he he'll he'll take the ta- and you do this also, you'll take the tangents of what someone says and says, oh well, tell me more about this, and that's what we do with music too. You know, we listen and then we like go down those tangents, you know, it, it, you can, and, and that's a great conversation. Like you can be, you can sit down with someone for lunch and next thing you know, you're like, you're talking about like, I don't know, the you know, like tube and throat singing or something, or you're, you're talking about like the, the uh, you know, like the, the, the Antarctic or, you know, you're, you're like, you're somewhere else where you're like, man, how do we get here? We got here through listening you know you're having a dialogue and and that's you know music is a language unquestionably it has the same exact fundamentals as a spoken language and uh um and so through listening you know we can we can have everything through listening or we can have nothing through not listening it's
0: it's very true and i think as a, like you just said before as a country we need to get there and i i it's i, I don't know how far away we are from it Ooh. but Oh, that's way, <laughs> yeah, yeah a long way um i'm trying to figure out the right way on how to transition out of this into starting with with dave um just non sequitur man just go for it <laughs> okay let's, let's let's do it um your re- your reaction to um when you heard leroy moore had an accident and was going to be out of commission for a little bit and we all know eventually he ended up passing away but right. Uh, Your reaction, uh, and then I have a funny follow-up question to this, and I guess I'll just ask that right now. Mm -hmm. One, what was it like getting the call and and going to perform with them, and then also having to be on stage with thousands and thousands of people and you have a music stand in front of you?
1: And a three-ring binder, by the way. I had my (laughs) three-ring binder (laughs) and plastic (laughs) sheets. (laughs) so not much has changed you know there it is um with, with all songs lined up in order well whatever order we had yes it's yeah. uh, they had numbers so i could get to them quickly yeah um, it's so true man um uh, well when i when i first heard about roy's accident um i was i was in new england actually i was at a friend's wedding in new york and uh my my girlfriend my now wife was with me and i had my soprano with me because i was playing at the wedding and we were driving to Massachusetts to visit my grandmother. Um, and we were going to spend a couple of days and fly back home. And so I got a call from the Flectones manager that said that Leroy had been seriously injured in this ATV wreck. <clears throat> and uh, But he would recover. And uh, he said, you know, the band wants to know if you can sub for for two or three months until Roy recovers. And I said, I said, sure. I said, when do they need me? He said, right away. I said, what's right away? He said, the next gig's tomorrow in Charlotte. I was like, oh boy. Okay. I said, tell them yes, get more details and let me figure out some stuff on my end. So I had to get my stuff driven over from Nashville, get a flight down, blah, blah, blah. So my, my initial thought was of course, God, I'm glad he's going to be okay. You know, I didn't know the extent of his injuries at that point. All I knew is that he'd been really banged up, and. Uh, Um, so, so again, like my initial thought was, thank God he's going to be all right. You know, and, and that was what we thought all the way through until the day he passed August 19th, 2008. And, uh, um, and, and I got a call. I remember the, 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 um, um, the assistant tour manager. Brian had had texted me and said, Hey, Bill is going to get in touch with the tour manager. Bill is going to get in touch with you. Um, he's got something he needs to talk with you about. We were playing in LA. We were playing at the Staples Center mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and my initial thought, um, um, my initial thought was that I had too many people on the guest list. I think I had like five or six people. And I was thinking, man, maybe that's too many. I don't know, you know, because mm-hmm. was such a new situation for me. And, uh, Uh, And Bill called and and said that Leroy had passed that day. And, uh, and and I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, it was so far from anything that was even peripherally in my mind. You know, I mean, there was, there was no, like in my mind, there was no chance of that happening, you know? And I remember the first thing that I did when he told me, obviously being in disbelief, Rashawn was on the bus. It was just the two of us on the bus. He was in the back. And I remember I went back and I just said, man, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I don't know what to say. And, uh, um, you know, he was, he was really, he was, I mean, distraught, I guess you would say, you know, and, uh, um, and, you know, I remember that night that, that, um, I stayed out of the dressing room. I just, I let them have their space with themselves, you know? And, uh, um, but music, um, music got everybody through that. And people were, you know, people would say to me, wow, man, it must be so hard for you, you know, with this situation. I was like, man, I said, it's, it's hard for them. You know, I mean, they, they lost a family member. I mean, Roy was a good friend and, and, you know, beautiful musician, obviously. Um, but he was an original founding member and, they had grown up together, you know, been on the road for, you know, 15 plus years at that point, I guess. And, uh, um, you know, so, I mean, they lost a family member and I was like, I said, it's hard for that. I said, I'm just trying to support, you know, and, and, and be there and do my job and do what I can. And, and, uh, but witnessing, witnessing the group going through that, um, I think brought everybody together in a particular way also. I mean, they had to lean on each other, you know, and and uh, um, I remember the first time we did that and I was bartender and, uh, and and it was heavy. It was heavy because most people didn't know that Roy had passed. And uh, um, and Dave, you know, Dave announced that he had given up his ghost. And, uh, and I don't think a lot of people knew what that meant. Uh, but by the next night and by the end of the gig, everybody knew. I mean, I get, I get goosebumps thinking about it, man. I'm getting goosebumps listening to to it. Was super heavy, you know, and and uh, but that's the power of music, you know to 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 go on and you know, I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me if if they hadn't played that night, we hadn't played that night. It was similar to 9/11 when I was with the Flectones. We played that night. We we made the decision. Man, we have to do this. We have to. We have to move forward. You know, as hard as this is, we have to use music to heal. We believe that music can heal, and uh, and it can, it can.
0: Well, and it was around that time too. I know. I remember re- uh, watching a documentary that Roy had told Dave that he had to lead this band, and they had a little bit of a resurgence, losing um, Butch Taylor, bringing Tim back into the fold, mm-hmm. uh, and that that year, and then at the end of the 08 tour you guys went back into the studio and um you had a sort of pick up the pick up where roy left off for big whiskey and the king and yeah what was that experience like at that point in time knowing that there this was almost like a tribute to Leroy going Absolutely. in the studio for for, for big whiskey mm-hmm. and you know and with that Also came, I I don't want to say uh, uh, first time experiences, but look, uh, when you guys were promoting that album, you guys were on Letterman. You guys were on all the different shows. Right. Also, and then you guys were also performing at the Grammys. Can you talk about uh, the big whiskey year of making the album? that tour and the promotion of being on these national stages from, for a small kid from new England who went yeah. to, yeah. it's
1: a bit, a lot. Well, I mean, it, it was, you know, I mean, making the record was, was surreal in a lot of ways um, because Roy had recorded a lot of material, obviously, you know, all the soloing on that record is him. And uh, it's a, it's a beautiful tribute. And, um, you know, I, I think it was really healing and really difficult for everybody when you're, when you're listening to his sound, his, his voice, um, coming through the speakers, that's heavy, man. You know, someone who's not with us anymore, but, but who lives on through sound. You know, it's like you hear about people who, who, um, you know, wish they had, um, recorded their parents so they could hear their voice. Um, you know, these these are things that that affect us emotionally. Sound, I mean, the sound of someone's voice, your 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 child's voice, your parent's voice, your partner's voice. These are things that affect us, you know, in very profound ways. And in music is no different. I mean, Roy's voice was was his saxophone, and uh, that's your identity. And uh, so so hearing that daily in the studio was a surreal experience, you know, and, and uh, so it was, it was heavy and beautiful and emotional and, but surreal at the same time, you know? Um, And, and as far as doing all the other stuff, you know, it's, it's what we dream about as, as kids, you know, it's what we dream about as, I mean, I played sports all growing up. Um, I played a lot of baseball. Um, I played hockey also. It's, it's kind of what, you know, it's like, the ninth inning, the bases are loaded. You're down by three, and you hit the grand slam. You know that's that's what we all dream about. We dream about making it to the show, and and so, you know, through through the Flectones, um, I was doing this. I was I was already out there, and and it's interesting. You know, playing to tens of thousands of people is, in some ways, it's 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 more anonymous it's strange. It's like, it's almost easier to play to, to 15 or 20,000 people than it is to play to like, like in a small jazz club or something, you know? I mean, with the Fleck Tons, we were playing to, you know, 750 to 12, 1200 people a night, which is huge for that kind of group. You know, most jazz improv, improvisational groups are playing to smaller, smaller crowds, like, you know, hundred, 150 in a jazz club. And, uh, Um, And sometimes it's harder to do that because you feel like you're being undressed all the time, you know, whereas 15 or 20,000 people, they're, they're just feeding off the energy and it's, it's, it's just different. I don't know. It's hard to explain. And uh, so I, I I don't really have nerves playing in front of that many people. It's, it's weird. Um, But it's, you know, it's, it's been a great opportunity for me. Certainly Um, I'm grateful every day for, for, for the gig and for the people that I get to work with and, and make music with. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm an, I think that we're all ambassadors of music and that, that what we do represents what we do and who we are. And, uh, um, you know, and, and, you know, Dave is a very, very kind human being. He's, uh, he's, he's a beautiful, beautiful human. And, uh, and, and as a leader, I couldn't ask for a better leader than I've had with, with Bela and Dave. So, uh, um, I'm very grateful for, for both of those people and for their influence as well. You know, Um, I, I, I have
0: to also ask with, with the same tone of the studio after big whiskey came, uh, away from the, away from the world and come tomorrow. Mm -hmm. What, um, any fun memories or stories you can tell us about the studio uh, making of those two albums, as well as you know, at that point, um, you know, you had already been with the band for I think four years, three years, uh, when for Away From The World, and of course, in 2018, um, Come Tomorrow came, um, what was the Full transition as far as being a member of the band, like no more, no more as a guest, you know, filling in for right. Leroy. You are the guy. Right. Any, so you're, how much creative input did you have on those, on those albums as far as the horn, the horn parts and just your time of sort of now being
1: a, a member of the band? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that, that, um, you know, when you change a voice, uh, it, it, it changes the sound, you know? And so um, creatively I'm there for whatever they need me to do, you know, for whatever the music is calling for. And, and, uh, um, you know, so our Rashaan's in my role within the ensemble is to be a horn section, you know, and, and uh, um, to solo every now and then. Uh, so, so I think that, that, the sound of the band has changed also, you know, from going to a single voice of the saxophone to, um, to more of a horn section kind of thing. And uh, uh, there's still a lot of soloing and, and um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a a lot of that single voice still going on, but I think the shape of the music has changed slightly. Um, I definitely think the band has grown a lot also um, over the last number of years, you know, people are are really practicing and working on their craft. And uh, I don't, I don't, I, I I would say that nobody takes it for granted. I I will, I will definitely say that. And, uh, um, so I, I just, I I just see the band and hear the band escalating all the time. And it's so exciting, man, that the band is, is still growing after all this time after next year is 30 years.
0: Yeah, that's that's a, 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 amazing. And also the the conversation, obviously, um, I don't want to say disappointment because I know it's an honor to be in the conversation about the Hall of Fame, but you guys set the record for most votes for the fan vote for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. That's an honor right now nobody else has but the Dave Matthews. It's band. pretty amazing. Our fans are unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely um, unbelievable. The best fans in the world. And, and I guess that's a perfect transition to some of the fan questions that we, we did receive. One of them was about Belle Um One, uh, Tomiko from the Ants Marching website asked, uh, Dave and Carter are recording in Charlottesville. Want to know um, if you're in contact with them as far as the recording is concerned, if this is even true that they're still rec- if they're recording and still putting things together. This was a question that was brought from the fans, so I figured I'd bring it up to you. Hmm. I don't know where they heard that. Okay, yeah. Sometimes... Fiction is more interesting than reality, and sense. Yeah, of
1: course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: um, Egg Eggers Sweet uh asks, We've heard that Rashawn is a musical director of the band. What does Rashawn actually do as a music director, and does he dictate all the horn parts you play?
1: Um, no, he doesn't dictate all the horn parts. Um, Rashawn is an encyclopedia, man. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> um, he knows all the parts, all the words. He's got a photographic memory for music. I mean, it's it's astonishing, man. He is he is such an incredibly gifted musician. Um and and just such a beautiful cat. He's a great hang and uh um obviously a dear friend and funny and very direct. Um <laughs> um I, I love him to death, man. He's awesome. He's awesome. Um, and he plays so beautifully, man. He sounds like Clifford Brown when he plays, and 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 uh, Clifford was like one of the great jazz trumpet players. And uh, he, you know, he does his homework, man. He practices all the time, and he's he is so nails. He's so consistent, and uh, and always searching though, also. And uh, um, I just love him, man. He's he's just so great. He's so great. Edgar Sweet also want to know: Is there a favorite DMC DMB
0: song you'd like to play live?
1: Uh, you know, I don't have a favorite one. And I think part of that is because I learned the whole catalog at the same time. You know, I learned everything at once in 2009 when I, when I had to learn the catalog. Uh, and I went, so when I did that, I took a month, three to four hours every day. And I just put the iPod on shuffle every day for a month to learn the catalog, about 150 tunes. Hardest I've ever worked on a gig in my life. <laughs>
0: well yeah. i i ask with that too um like you said it, it evolves it, you know each mm-hmm. the, the music evolves you know um you guys made the transition from having a keyboard from having a violin so a lot of the violin parts are now moved around the band to different areas correct so, so having to like i'm going to use um i'll use billy's for example so Tripping billy's used mm-hmm. to have a violin solo right in the middle and now it's your that's your section of a solo mm-hmm. How did th- those decision makings of who's getting what line is going? You know who's taking this part, who's doing this now. In ants, instead of it being a big violin thing, it's a it goes around in a circle with everybody improvising a little bit.
1: Right.
0: How did those decisions come about? Who makes those those types of moves?
1: Well, we rehearse a lot. You know, we we have a little area backstage that we hurt he- we rehearse probably seventy percent of the time. And you know, when 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 Buddy came into the fold. Buddy's awesome. I love him. He's he's such a great. I guy. was I was going to ask about sure. him next, but yeah. <laughs> um, um, but uh, you know we just make decisions based on what we think is best for the music. I mean that's it's really as simple as that. You know how can we rearrange this in a way, and uh, um, and make it fresh for us also. You, you know I've read many interviews with the
0: departure of Boyd that the the band has involved and there's times where Buddy's ca- you know Buddy's energy brings a different feel to the band Mm. can you can you talk about what so because there's some people just don't understand what that means that energy that feel can you explain what that energy and feel
1: is Mm, i'm not sure well i mean buddy is just joy i mean when you know to, to, to me when he plays it's just joy and that's what it feels like on stage to me um it just feels like the band is full of joy i mean i can't i can't really explain it any better than that it's in, yeah. in a word, it's just joy. Yeah. I think
0: what you just said before too, where you said like everyone's so appreciative and just very honored to be up there. You can see it when sometimes like I remember um watching one live stream video, I think it was maybe Bayou, and you're just watching him jump up and down, and you they turn over to seeing you and Rashawn. You guys are playing, but you guys are also smiling at the same mm-hmm.
1: time. Because, yeah, yeah, because yeah. And 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 that's probably what it is if see you guys having fun it's going to try yeah, we're having a ball man there's no question about it and uh we can't wait to get back in 2021 and you know knock on wood man everything will be everything will be moving smoothly by then we'll see we'll see nobody knows man but we'll see that's the um, hope That's the. Hope. A, a,
0: another question about live performances was more about the set list how are the set lists developed
1: um And does Dave ask anyone's opinion on what should Should everybody's opinion? Yeah. Yeah. He puts them together um, based on what we've played there in the past. So it's, it's very conscientious, very conscientious. It can't please everybody all the time. Of course, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure you've seen the boards. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh yeah uh some great questions here about 2021 uh, about your opinion on what concerts are going to look like um uh, sure. you know you know what what do you think they're going to be what do you think they should be doing as far yeah. as uh, large groups you know sure. obviously nfl nfl games are letting like they're doing 15 percent capacity um right. do you think we're going to be back at a regular concert like venue in 2021
1: man i have no idea dude uh, <laughs> i hope so But I have no idea, you know, I mean, we, you know, we can't get a straight answer, um, you know, from the top down on this thing. And uh, again, without going down that rabbit hole, I mean, you've got, you've got people in top positions of power that are ripping off their masks after having the, having the virus. So, you know, we're still losing almost a thousand people a day.
0: Yeah. You know? So, yeah, we're just, I think that's sort of like the last thing in everybody's mind is making sure we can go to concerts. I think still people's safety is the, is the key. But we, had, we, had so, we had so many questions about concerts and, you know, concerts and entertainment fields. I just think yeah. that, you know. Um, yeah, we we'll take care of our people first
1: and then worry about the other stuff later.
0: You know? Cool. Well, listen, I, I, I originally, when we, when I sent the email to you about doing an interview, we'd say about 30 minutes and we went, we went, we went 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, and, 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 listen, we appreciate everybody tuning in. I'm Jeff, and thank you for being so generous with your time. Yeah, I'm a pleasure, but thank you. And uh, if you just hang out on one second, as I close up shop here, we'll talk off, off air for one second. And uh, I want to, th- Thank everybody for uh, tuning in, listening to Off Topic. He's Jeff Coffin of the Dave Matthews Band, Randy Zellia from Back Sports Page. And we appreciate uh, everyone for uh, tuning in. Thanks very much.
1: Peace.